This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to talk about the press conference to introduce Joe Bam Bam Douglas as the new general manager of the New York Jets, as well as voluntary OTAs today at Florham Park by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Hey, Chris, a little bit going on today, huh? Yeah, you know, just getting ready, just rolling up my sleeves, getting ready to collaborate on an excellent podcast with you. It's why you're the very big deal. They don't call you the very big deal for nothing. Exactly. And you earn your very big deal stripes and then some today out of Florham Park because there was a ton going on. So let's start with the main event as far as most people see it, which is the introductory press conference for the brand new general manager of the New York Jets, Joe Douglas, or as I like to call him, Joe Bam Bam Douglas, because he has a striking resemblance to pro wrestling legend Bam Bam Bigelow. I'm kind of disappointed that none of the beat writers brought that up to him today, but I'm counting on at least one or two of you doing it at some point down the line. I know this was his introductory press conference, so you did have other questions to ask. So along those lines, let's talk about those questions. What did Joe Douglas have to say for himself today? Well, once you you get through all the buzzwords that were thrown out there, um, you know, which happens at every introductory press conference, coach, GM, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, he, he talked a lot about collaboration. He repeated that multiple times. He talked about how he was just roll up his sleeves about uh, how important communication and transparency is. He repeated those words over and over and over and over throughout the day, but he did give a lot of good stuff out there. Um, there's a lot of stuff that fans can really be excited for. And let's just start with the most important thing is his affinity for Sam Darnold. And uh, he did not shy away from this. He did not hide this. That Sam Darnold was a huge draw for him and a huge part of the reason why he took this job. He obviously had the uh, relationship with Gase. He has a solid uh, relationship there. Uh, uh, They trust each other. They feel like they're going to work really well together. But he just came out right out and said it. The most important position in football is a quarterback. From there, you go to the lines, offensive, defensive lines, and then from there, you look for explosive, dynamic playmakers, but you need the quarterback. And when you have a young quarterback, that will help everything else and help you be able to just target the other areas that you need, which are much easier to fill than the quarterback. And he talked about it with his time in Philadelphia, how once they got Carson Wentz, then there was a sense of urgency to build around Carson Wentz, which we know Philadelphia did, even though they end up going on to win with Nick Foles because Wentz got hurt. They still, it was still that urgency, the, the building around him that got them that Super Bowl. Um, and then somebody asked him, you know, is that just because of the rookie contract type of thing? And then that's, this is where he gave the great quote and, uh, and, and I think that the highlight of the, the day for him, he said, no, I just think once you know you have the right guy, let's go right now. I feel like the confidence is here right now. So right now, Sam Darnold just turned 22 years old going into his second season, and he's already saying we have our guy this is our guy. Yes, he's you know he's going to need to improve. They need him to develop more and, 
uh, become more consistent, but they have their guy, and he's not going to sit around and wait for this uh, to develop or that to develop. They have the pieces in place now to continue adding to to build and become an immediate contender. And to another thing he said, you, you know, he ended this the press conference saying, to Jets Nation, you're getting a general manager that's a relentless worker, someone that understands a winning culture, someone that's going to strive to put a product on the field each Sunday that competes for greatness and that I hope can make you proud. Now, obviously, his uh, understanding of a winning culture, he came from Baltimore. He spent 16 years there when they were one of, if not the best front offices in football for that amount of time. He went to Chicago for a year, just a short time there, but then to Philadelphia, everything he did there. So even... Forget how much of of the success of the Ravens and the Eagles he's responsible for. Just him being around and seeing those high-functioning front offices operate on another level from everybody else, just through simple osmosis, just from from being there, he's got to know and understand and have uh, have an understanding of what it's like, what a, a functioning off front office should look like, how it should run smoothly, how things should be delegated. He talked a lot about learning from Howie Roseman, how he watched. Uh, everything he did, how he delegated, how he made sure to keep uh, the communication flowing at, between everybody. And the, Gase talked about it, Christopher Johnson talked about it, and he talked about it, about what a commu- great communicator he is, how great he is at building consensus among people. So even when you take uh, two sides who might not be uh, who might have different views and are opposing viewpoints on things, how he's able to kind of bridge them together and form like a middle ground somewhere for them to go. And everybody's working on the same page, not unlike what an offensive line has to do, how they we talked about this uh, a week or so ago. An offensive line has to work as a cohesive unit and work all as one uh, with the movements all connected to each other, that's what he's looking for to build with this front office, with this scouting staff, and everything in that building. He wants to work as a cohesive unit where everything is connected. And that's, that's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you need. And it's exactly what the Jets haven't had. for ever. I mean, everyone's going to point back to uh, Tannenbaum and Mangini, but uh, you know, uh, that obviously had their issues at the end. So right now, uh, everything is looking good. It's you know, it's just open. the first day his press conference. We'll have to see if it pans out, but this is exactly what you want from your front office. You want somebody running it like this, everybody on the same page, and while yes, I'm not going to sit here and say that Adam Gase doesn't want you know, his say mentioned, obviously, this is going to be, he's not going to have too much of an issue deferring, really fighting uh, Joe Douglas on things because you could hear it with Gase talking about him. Gase really trusts him. Gase raved about his evaluation ability, his, about how anybody that knows him, if they say, if Joe says he's a good player, then believe him. Because Joe's really good at this evaluation things, and people all around the league respect him there. So if if you, somebody might have their doubts on a certain player, but if Joe believes them, then that's going to be enough to sell, sell a lot of people on that player.
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I should note that if you really want to look into Joe Douglas and his history, we have a series of podcasts that you can check out. Just dropped one on his Ravens years, 15 years that he spent in Baltimore. Talked to Matthew Stevens and Walla O'Denerin from the Ravens Wire USA Today. They both did a terrific job enlightening us about what Joe Douglas did in Baltimore, including pounding the table for a lot of key players on the Ravens, one of whom is one day going to be going to the Hall of Fame, Marshall Yonda, who they drafted in the third round. So if he can pluck anybody like that in the third round, that'll certainly be a nice step forward for the New York Jets. Also spoke to Vince Quinn of WIP Radio in Philadelphia and the Go Birds podcast about Joe Douglas's time in Philadelphia. That one was called Meet the Candidates. We did that while the search was going on. And if you listen to the Meet the Candidates Champ Kelly edition, you'll hear part of that where I asked him about Joe Douglas's time in Chicago as well. That was Zach Pearson from BearReport.com. So three podcasts that you can listen to to really get a full picture of Joe Douglas's entire career in the NFL. And when he was with the Bears, that's where he met Adam Gase, and that's where the bond was formed. And it seems like not only does Gase have a ton of respect for Joe Douglas, but it goes back the other way because Douglas went out of his way at this presser to emphasize how much he's looking forward to working with Adam Gase. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it is funny because you listen to the two of them talk about each other, and you and you're like, wait a second, they only spent a year together in Chicago. That That's it. They were there for a year. But Gase talked about this, that they spent a lot of time together during that time. Uh, they, they talked a lot. They discussed a lot of players around the league. They discussed their philosophies and everything that how they feel about certain things, what the importance that they focus on. You know, they both talked about the – I. Uh, the need to find hardworking players who love football, the players, you know, who hate to lose more than they love to win, all that stuff. Uh, talking about basically culture stuff, which, again, you know, I'm not the biggest believer in. But 
they they think a lot alike. They share a lot of the same philosophies. They have the same uh, mindset with certain things. And, you know, everybody knows this. Everybody has gone somewhere and just met somebody and you just felt like a click. You guys just got along right away. That's kind of what I get the feeling happened here. These two just clicked right off the bat. They got along really well. They have similar personalities. They see things in very similar ways. And they both have a real genuine like and respect of each other. And you could hear in Gase's voice and uh, some of the questions he was answering that he just didn't have that with Mike McCagnan. He didn't have that level of trust. He didn't have any of that. He didn't believe in him. didn't have the respect there. And But he does now with the GM now. Um, they're going to be looking. They both desperately want to win. They both want to build this roster in a similar fashion and work together to get it done. And again, they talked about collaboration, working together in unison and all that. So they're, they're going to keep stay together. They're going to talk a lot. They're going to share it and be open and really look to build the team in the way that they want to build the team, and they're on the same page there. So for at least this year, we shouldn't have any problems there. We'll see down the road what ends up happening, you know, especially if things don't go as as well as everybody's hoping for right off the bat. But right now, you can really see and sense the genuine mutual respect they have for each other. Chris, when you were describing the relationship between Joe Douglas and Adam Gase, it sounded like you and me, except for the part about the respect, because I don't think you have anywhere near as much respect for me as those two do for each other, simply because I'm not a very big deal like you. I, I don't be too hard on yourself. I don't have a, a, a lot of respect for anybody. <laughs> Sounds like I'm in good company then. One thing that I will say too is, in addition to Gase and Douglas, Christopher Johnson talked a little bit. He didn't say much, mostly just cliches about how Joe Douglas is awesome and he's the right guy at the right time. Joe Douglas did say that Christopher Johnson was a big part of him wanting this job, but to me that felt more like him telling you Christopher Johnson wasn't a deterrent to the job, not that he necessarily was like, oh, I can't wait to work for Christopher Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a little bit of this, hey, this guy just gave me the biggest contract pay, payday I've ever gotten in my life. So I'm not going to say any, anything bad about him, of course. There's a little bit of that. But mostly what I think he was trying to say, because he, he knows, he, he's a smart man, he knows what the, the reporter was getting at there. He, he knows that there's the perception that he wasn't uh, comfortable with the organization. He had his questions with the ownership, Woody Johnson coming back possibly. And he said that, you know, he met with Christopher Johnson, and he was really impressed with him. And I believe it to a point, uh, he oversold it a little bit, obviously. Like I said, Sam Darnold was a much bigger reason for him accepting this job than Christopher Johnson. But he was impressed enough with Christopher Johnson that he really genuinely isn't concerned about the ownership factor. I think he probably came in thinking that maybe he'd be more a little more concerned, have a little more doubt than he did, so then to have that sense of relief, like, hey, this guy's, you know, fairly competent. I can see what he's trying to do here, okay, and from from there. But yeah, he's it's not like he was like, Well, I don't like this the roster, I don't like the head coach, but man, I just want to work for Christopher Johnson. That's <laughs> not how it played out, of course. 
but everything about the ownership being a problem, nobody's going to want to work for Christopher Johnson and Woody Johnson, who was clearly overblown in this situation because he's, he's definitely, I definitely believe him on this. He is not uh, too worried or concerned about that. He has, he knows the position he was in. He knows he was at the top of almost everybody's GM wish list candidate search. And if, if that was going to be a concern or a problem for him, then he would have just sat back and waited for another job. So that, that whole narrative was overblown, but Jets fans should be used to stuff like that by now. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As far as roster building, Chris, one thing that he said that I thought was interesting, he said the biggest piece is the quarterback, which we know that he believes he has that piece in place with Sam Darnold. But he also seemed to emphasize that you build through the trenches, the offensive line and the defensive line. If you read between the lines there, I'm fully expecting some major investments in the offensive line in the offseason, whether in free agency and or the draft, but I think that he is absolutely going to have his eye on fixing this offensive line this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And you just have to look at the, the the first place he was at and the last place he was at. When the Baltimore Ravens were doing all that and at the top of the league, those offensive lines were great. And uh, with the Eagles, the Eagles' offensive line has been phenomenal the last couple of years. That's as big of a reason that they won as anything else, the offensive and defensive lines. And that works with Baltimore, too. Um, right now, you look at the Jets. They're pretty, they're pretty good on the defensive line. Now, we'll see next year. We'll see what happens with Leonard Williams next this year, how he plays and then what they do with him, but they're, they, they're pretty good on the defensive line right now. The offensive line, well, we've talked about this a lot. The old GM didn't really invest in that that much. He did most. He chose to do most of the investing in the offensive line through free agency. <clears throat> Suma Doga this year was the highest uh, pick he's ever used on an offensive lineman, and before that it was Brandon Shell is the only offensive lineman he drafted that has played any significant minutes. So the old GM, who is out of a job for completely understandable reasons, kind of ignored the offensive line, and they failed in large part due to that. Especially you look at Spencer Long last year, we got a free agent acquisition, how much he struggled just to snap the ball, how that ended up leading to Donald getting hurt. He is going to turn around, and that is something that you can definitely expect them to address at the top of the draft uh, years coming forward. And even just look at what the Eagles did this year, where they're set at tackles. They they have really good tackles for this year, but they went. They saw the Texans were about to pick. They knew the Texans needed an offensive lineman to protect uh, Sean Watson, so they went and they traded up one spot ahead of the Texans for Andre Dillard out of Washington State, and uh, they went and made that move. And who knows if they even need this year except for more depth, but down the future, they can build there. 
they they understand about the trenches in Philadelphia. And I'm not going to say he's the only reason for that because obviously the Philadelphia front office is, is really great, but that is op- absolutely something he's a believer in. And you can look forward to seeing those two sides of the, the ball, those two positions up front being addressed over and over again. <clears throat> and it's, it's a cliche at this point, but football is still one in the trenches. That is one thing about this game that has not changed. Whether it's a running league, whether it's a, a, a high frequency crack down field passing league, whether it's a short passing game, the football is still one in the trenches. And he knows this, and he's going to look to address that and beef up both fronts on both sides of the ball. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm not sure where this got started, but there was this belief that Joe Douglas was not big on analytics, which ran contrary to what I was aware of because I know Philly used analytics a lot. And I know that when I spoke to Vince Quinn, he indicated that Joe Douglas did believe in analytics. He was asked about it today, and it seemed like he absolutely does believe that analytics are a big part of the solution. He believes in film and analytics and a modern approach to looking at the game and scouting. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird how it popped up because, you know, when I was looking into information about Joe Douglas and about whether he was going to come and get hired, I didn't bother asking a single question about his thoughts on analytics, and that, that was maybe partially laziness uh, on my part, uh, partially maybe a little naiveness, but I was just like, he's in Philadelphia, man. Like they use analytics as well as anybody else in this league. So even if he went to Philadelphia, not being a believer in analytics, I just couldn't possibly imagine him being anti-analytics. And yeah, I had a good reason to, to not uh, think about that. He said, you know, I think it's a great tool. He said he's, it's important because oftentimes uh, coaches and personnel evaluations are subjective and it's important to get that objective viewpoint. What the numbers say, um, you know, just no bias, no other implications involved, just these are the results. And then it helps how it helps paint the entire picture and it'll bring up some more talking points that weren't discussed without analytics so he definitely does value analytics he said when he was in baltimore that's when that first analytics first started getting introduced to people and he might have had a little bit of a hesitation at first he said you know just like all former players at whatever level he might have been getting a a little insulted that here comes some numbers guy who's never played the game is going to tell him what it is but it said, he said it made him have an appreciation to see the other viewpoint and to not be offended that there's somebody besides a scout giving an opinion on a player. And like you said, it just helps paint the whole picture. So he's still going to get the scout. He's still going to film, watch the film and dig into the film and give all those old school evaluations. But when you can do that and then you can 
look at just the raw data, just the numbers, and then you can see where they meet up and where they diverge and where they are way off. That helps you paint a better picture to get a clear, more clear picture. And that's exactly what you want in analytics. It's the, the phrase of uh, analytics is a tool and the toolbox is not the whole toolbox. You don't want to just rely strictly on analytics, just on numbers. You need the context to be able to see it on film. But when you, the film and the numbers match up, that's when you feel really good about it. And this idea that he was anti-analytics it appears to be very, very false. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Two great quotes that I liked from the press conference. One of them was that he said he was going to be looking for players that hate losing more than they love winning. And the other one was when he said that the game of football is a battle of wills and the Jets are going to try to build a team that can impose their will on another team, which is such an offensive lineman thing to say. But it reminds me a little bit of boxing legend Bernard Hopkins, who actually boxed into his 50s, if you can believe it. And Bernard Hopkins was famous for that. He knew exactly how to cut off the ring and impose his will on you and used his smarts and his skill to figure out exactly how to neutralize what you did best. And it sounds like that's what Joe Douglas believes in team building wise. He wants to put together a team where he can go into, as you said, the toolbox and get exactly which tools he needs for Adam Gase. And then Adam Gase can deploy them and accentuate his team's positives and really cut off the opposing team's positives on a weekly basis. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, and that's exactly what you want. You want, it's also, you want to know your strengths and you want to know your opponent's weaknesses. And then you want to know how to attack there and then how you're best suited to attack those weaknesses. And then when you do that, where are you most vulnerable? You want to be able to know all those things. You need to know all those things. And again, it goes back to the winning in the trenches because that's where you impose your will. Now, a lot of what you were just talking about, what you said, those quotes, this kind of generic stuff that you hear in pretty much every uh, GM's introductory press conference, the key is going to be actually putting that into motion. Everybody wants to impose their will on the other team. Everybody always wants to wear down the defenses and exploit weaknesses. That Everybody says that, but can you actually do that? Can you put it in motion, and can you actually see it through? And he has the right mindset, and again, if he's, if he's even... 60% of the evaluator that people talk about him, and it's not just Adam Gase that talked about him. It's what I've been hearing for the past four months or however long I've been hearing about Joe Douglas. Everybody really respects him as an evaluator, and if he's just 60% of what everybody says, then he should be able, have no problem putting those pieces in places to actually execute this plan and this mission that he set out for. Chris, now that we've talked all about the press conference, let's take this on to the field where the Jets did have a practice. And I have to say this picture of Joe Douglas on the field standing next to Damian Woody really pounds home the point that Joe Douglas is probably one of the five baddest general managers in the league. He will take your best player, he will take your best draft pick, and he will take your lunch money, and you will like it. Because how many general managers can stand next to Damian Woody and look just as big and bad? Yeah, he's. I, I'd have to go through the list and actually look and see all the GMs, but 
I'd say he's probably top five, and he's not five, four, three, or two. <laughs> he's definitely one. I can't imagine there's too many more imposing GMs out there. It is funny, though, because I tweeted out a picture of him and Damian Woody and uh, immediately was just flooded with jokes about uh, shoot them both up, get them both. Damian plays center. Joe Douglas plays center. Everybody was looking to, to put them both on the offensive line. I think you're going to need to focus on him finding newer and younger offensive linemen. I don't think you want to go to that well. They're both big. They look like they could play the part. Both older. I don't think you really want that to be the case. So you're going to need those evaluation skills to come into play there. But, yeah, he, he is definitely an imposing figure. He, he's got a big old smile, though. So at, at least right now we haven't seen any type of rough side to him. He, he seems more like a big old teddy bear. But he, he is a big boy. And standing next to Damian Woody, he was just like, yeah, all right, this is just illuminates even more and even further the need for the offensive line to be upgraded here. Joe Douglas is on the practice field, so let's talk about what he saw and what he didn't see. And what he didn't see were a lot of players that were not there. Chris, we know the deal. If you don't show up to voluntary OTAs, you should probably be released. So why don't you go ahead and let us know who these terrible, terrible players are that the Jets should be getting rid of for having the selfishness, the indecency to not show up to these voluntary OTAs. It's, it's really absurd. So there was Le'Veon Bell and Tremaine Johnson weren't there, as expected. Calicio Semele and Kelvin Beecham weren't there. Leonard Wils, uh, Williams wasn't there. And Jamal Adams wasn't there. And uh, exclusive breaking news report, they're all holding out because they're unhappy with Joe Douglas. <laughs> they're protesting the decision to hire uh no, I'm obviously kidding. Breaking news! <laughs> they all weren't there. None of even Jamal Adams didn't show up. So it'll be it'll be funny to see the reactions to this. Are the people that have been slamming Le'Veon Bell for not showing up are they going to turn around and, and slam Jamal Adams now? Because that's not going to go well if you do that. Um, Robbie Anderson was there today, but he didn't practice, and uh, Bilal Powell was there. He didn't really participate. But there, there was a, a healthy amount of people who didn't show up for practice today. We didn't get to ask Gase about it because Gase talked uh, after the Joe Douglas presser, and then we were asking Gase questions about Joe Douglas. Nobody really bothered to ask him any of the questions about the players who are absent. So we don't know if they're going to be here the rest of the week or it was just a day off today for some of them. But, again, it's not a big deal. Who cares? Jamal Adams... If you're concerned about Jamal Adams for any reason, then I don't know what to tell you at this point. Let's talk about the actual practice here. Do we have to? <laughs> a lot of guys were missing, but there were some guys that were there and stood out. Looks like Christopher Herndon and Jamison Crowder made an impact on some passing plays. Rontez Miles played well. And Kyron Brown, who I have to familiarize myself with, had a nice game. And it sounds like he's actually been doing fairly well at practice, although keep in mind this was the stage of the offseason last year that everybody thought that Chad Hansen was going to be the breakout player and he ended up getting released. So not all that big of a deal when a guy's playing well for a couple of practices. But it is encouraging that Darnold is starting to get a little bit of chemistry with Jamison Crowder and that he's continuing to have some chemistry with Christopher Herndon. Yeah, um, with Kyron Brown, I, I I don't know that I'd go so far to say that he's had a couple of nice practices. I've noticed him a lot for a couple of reasons. Number one, the defense is in white jerseys now, which keeps throwing me off 
because the the offense was always in the white jerseys and the defense was always in the darker jerseys under Rex and Bowles. So that's kind of throwing me off. And Kyron Brown is number 40, which is the same number as Trenton Cannon. So every time I see Kyron Brown out there, I'm like, what is Trenton Cannon doing running around in the, the back in the defensive backfield? So that that's where I'm noticing Kyron Brown a lot. Today, he made a really nice interception off of Trevor Simeon. I got the toe taps in at the sideline. It was a really nice play. So um, with Herndon and uh, Jamison Crowder, Sam Darnold did look pretty good today. He had a couple of uh, interceptions, a couple bad throws here and there. The one to Rontez Miles was a, a weird last-second play, and the defense had pretty much everybody on the goal line, so that is easy to write off. But he looked much better than he did uh, last week today. But it was Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon were the two guys who stood out today. Again, back to Jamison Crowder, you can just see how well he fits into this offense. And Chris Herndon continues to develop with Sam Darnold, continues to build on the chemistry that they found later in the year, and he made a bunch of really good plays, a bunch of tight throws and through tight spaces, threading the needle, and uh, strong hands by the receivers to make plays and turn the ball upfield. Let's talk about something that happened after practice, namely the fact that Neil Sterling was released. He was released to make room for Bilal Powell, who returned and did talk to you guys after practice. So tell me a little bit about what you learned about Sterling getting cut, and tell me all about who talked to you after practice and what they had to say. Well, Sterling, like you just said, it was cut to make room for Bilal Powell. They can still, you know, the, the roster is bigger this time of year, but it's still a 90-person limit. So signing Blau Powell, they had to get rid of somebody. It is a little uh, odd that Sterling was the, the guy that they decided to go with there. There's a bunch of other people who you know aren't going to make this team. They could have done it there. But I guess they wanted to probably give Sterling a chance to catch on somewhere else. You know, for a third or fourth tight end, you can do a lot worse in this league than him. So uh, that's probably what that was there. After practice today, we only got Blau Powell and Jordan Jenkins. Blau Powell, as Jets fans know, isn't the biggest talker. He, he talked about, you know, just being excited and happy to be back. Um, he didn't want to get into talking about his mind state or what he was thinking or going through with the injury last year, the neck injury. If, you know, if he thought that it was going to end his career, he didn't want to address that, but he really was happy to rehab, get healthier, take his time and, um, sit down with his wife and really, uh, you know, assess the situation going forward. And he was, he's happy to be back with the Jets. He knows Le'Veon Bell is here and Le'Veon Bell is going to be the guy here, but he's happy to come in and help in any capacity that they need. And Jets fans all, know all too well what he is capable of doing in that limited role. So that'll be good for him. <clears throat> Jordan Jenkins. You know, talked about, again, Greg Williams and how much he likes this defense, the aggressive nature of the defense. Um, he, he talked about just how the players are feeding off of that. Um, he called Gase a cool cat, which was okay, cool. Uh, but that's about the extent of what we got today. Uh, after practice was over, we got a, those couple players, and then we were all just like, all right, come on, just bring us Joe Douglas already. Let's get on with this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this stuff doesn't really matter as much. So that we only got those two players today. 
Last order of business, Chris. Matt Stipulkowski ate six cannolis after practice. Six? I mean, I wasn't counting, but apparently Connor was. And, <laughs> yeah, um, which makes perfect sense because that's what they do. And um, but yeah, the uh, dessert situation is always funny, and, and, and there they always leave out some desserts, and the desserts tend to be really good. But every day you'll see they put out some dessert, and like. 90, 95% of the beat just like tries to zip right past it and pretend that they don't even know it's there because they don't want to get tempted. And then every day there seems to be one person that folds. That one, one person breaks and then is like, ah, I can't resist today. And they go for it. And then they end up keep going back because nobody else is and they just want more and more of it. Well, today that was Mike, Matt Stipikowski, uh just feasting on the cannolis. I saw those cannolis and I darted far, far away. I don't was having no part in them because otherwise I would have been trying to challenge uh, Stemkowski there, but he he took the crown on the cannoli eating champion today. Unbelievable. Half a dozen cannolis downed by Matt Stipulkowski. That dude was not messing around, and if he keeps that up, he's going to give Joe Douglas a run for his money in the size department, let me tell you. Yeah, he's got a long way to go. And if, if there's anybody on our beat that can afford to eat six cannolis in a sitting like that, it's Matt. So I'm sure he'll work that off real quick. But, yeah, if I if I eat six of those cannolis, then, oh, boy, that'd get ugly. <laughs> Perhaps the highlight of practice was a beat reporter eating cannolis. That should tell you what it was like today in Florham Park when half the team was missing. But... Chris Nimbley was not missing because he's a very big deal, and he's always at practice. Rain or shine, no matter who is there, Chris always will be. Chris, thanks so much for being our eyes and ears on the scene, as always. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let them know, and let them know where they can read your very big deal work and what you've got coming down the pike. Yeah, you can find my work at JensenSarah.com. I got an article up right now. I posted right before we recorded this about... Um, Joe Douglas and his introductory presser. Uh, obviously, we'll have practice on Thursday. We'll have more stuff from you there. And then uh, during the six-week break between uh, this last OTA and training camp, I had a, I have a lot of articles coming out, breaking down positional battles, areas that they need to still try to address where uh, Joe Douglas talked about. Uh, you know, they are third on the wa- waiver wire claim, and he he's going to make good use of that if a player that he he likes becomes available. So be sure to keep your eye out on that once training camp cuts come around. Um, but we'll have a bunch of positional battle breakdowns, and you know, obviously need to address the depth on the offensive line, cornerback, and safety. So we'll have a bunch of articles coming out then, and you can find me on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.